another ABI podcast. I'm Ann Lawton, a professor of law at Michigan State University and the American Bankruptcy Institute resident scholar. I'm joined today by two guests, the Honorable Brian Lynch, who's the chief bankruptcy judge for the Western District of Washington, and the Honorable Rebecca Connolly, chief bankruptcy judge for the Western District of Virginia. Welcome, Judge Lynch. Welcome, Judge Connolly. Thank you, Ann. I'm glad to be here. So today, we are going to be discussing Official Form 113, the proposed mandatory National Chapter 13 plan. The Committee on Rules of Practice and Procedure of the Judicial Conference of the United States has proposed both amendments to the Federal Rules of Bankruptcy Procedure and adoption of Official Form 113. The proposal to adopt a mandatory national plan for Chapter 13 cases is controversial and has divided bankruptcy judges. My two guests represent both sides of the issue. So Judge Lynch, uh, let me start with you. I'd like to ask you why you think adoption of a mandatory national plan for Chapter 13 cases has generated so much opposition. Well, I can't speak for all 144 judges that uh, joined with in, in opposing plan, or even the 83 trustees, Chapter 13 trustees, who joined in opposing the plan. But I think if, if you were to say one thing uh, that they would agree on is that the proponents haven't made the case for this plan. It, it mandates a form that's untested in favor of local form plans, which have been tested and work. Most of us, proponents and opponents of the national mandatory plan, have plans form plans in our district, and they work, and they've worked over a long period of time, and they're suited to local and circuit court decisions and state laws, demographics, practices, and history in those courts. As an example, in Tacoma, the Tacoma Division, where I'm from, uh, statistics for 2009 cases, all the cases filed in 2009, show that we, of the confirmed cases, we completed something like 70% of, uh, of the cases, our trustees' average fee is under 4%, and our average debtors' attorneys' fees are in the middle of the pack. They're all very good numbers, and our form plan looks nothing like this mandatory plan. Uh, essentially, what, from our perspective, you're taking the investment of the local courts and parties in their local form plans, the plans themselves, and the rules implementing the plans, and you're sweeping them away. Uh, on, on a process that, one, they haven't made a case for, and two, that it's, there's no uh, vetting of this form plan uh, ahead of time. So we, we're taking a working situation and we're substituting a very disruptive process of essentially re-educating all the local courts to a new form plan and, and uh, uh, potentially new rules to try to implement that plan. So I, I think that's there are a number of other reasons why it's opposed, but I think on the largest scale, that's the reason that their uh, judges and trustees are opposed to this mandatory form plan. So, Judge Connolly, I'm curious as to how to respond to that. That essentially, I think big picture, what you're saying, Judge Lynch, is that this is something that hasn't been tested and they haven't made the case. So, what's your response, Judge Connolly? Well. First, I would say, with respect to hasn't been um, tested, I'm not exactly sure what the 
purpose of uh, testing of the, the form would be. This is simply just an official form that uh, simply does exactly the same thing that the existing local forms do. They're going to report payments to the trustee. They're going to report disbursements from the trustee. And they're going to provide some uh, information regarding instructions. Uh, it, we have a period of approximately two years before the effective date, and it's during that time that there can be an implementation process where software companies can work toward uh, assisting uh, with uh, uh, populating this form and with um, adjusting as needed uh, any um, local instructions that, that currently exist. In my experience in reviewing plans, all of the plans have to comply with 1322 and 1325, uh, and, and I think they do so, um, as does this official form. So when you're looking for information for the official form, you can find it from the local forms and vice versa. So I'm not quite sure how um, we need to test the form, um, but we know that we have about a two-year time period to do so. Uh, with respect to the, the reason why, what, you know, what is the, the purpose in doing this, there hasn't been a case made to uh, have an official form for a Chapter 13 plan. I would say that there has been. I think the first... Um, reason why we need to consider this is by looking at uh, this U.S. Supreme Court decision in 2010. Most of us thought that the Supreme Court would not uphold the Ninth Circuit because, as we know, at that time, uh, the debtor had proposed something in his plan and didn't comply with procedural due process, didn't comply with the, um, the rules regarding how he was going to seek a, a discharge, in that case, uh, of a student loan. And yet, he's stuck that provision in his plan, and the plan was confirmed. So to the extent that there's not a problem in Chapter 13, I would say we're forgetting what happened in the Espinosa case. Uh, and so after that, uh, there's been you know, a, an opportunity for us to, to go back and look and, and realize that the existing rules that we had uh, didn't catch this particular problem. Um, and as a result, I think we do have a duty to, to look to see how we can improve our systems so that we don't have another situation where a plan is confirmed that contains improper provisions, and that is binding, uh, notwithstanding the fact that rules were not complied with. Uh, secondly, I think it's also become abundantly clear that, that we have such an inconsistency in our current procedures in Chapter 13. And as a result, uh, we have you know, basically five different ways that we can we can handle the same action. Uh, and so in the process of looking at how are we going to address Espinosa, the Rules Committee needed to look at process and procedure in Chapter 13, realize that, that they're you know, inconsistent, and in order, to effort, in, in order to obtain the consistency, they needed to do so, and that blends very nicely into the use of an official form. So I actually think that there is a case for doing so that didn't exist before Espinosa now it is there, and I think that, that it's important, and I think it will improve uh, our Chapter 13 practice without impairing completion rates or increasing costs. I mean, the concerns regarding you know, completion rates in jurisdictions like Judge Lynch's jurisdiction, I, I don't see how that would be changed by using an official form or by the changes to the, the rules setting forth consistent procedures. So I'd like to follow up on a couple of things that you said there. Let's hold the Espinoza issue just for a moment, but you said without affecting completion rates. So, Judge Lynch, what is it 
about the form that suggests that it may increase or decrease confirmation rates or uh, completion rates. So what is it specifically about your district's form that you could give us examples of that might suggest there may be differences using your form versus an official form in terms of confirmation or completion rates? Well, you know, you ask a really good question because I think one of the criticisms of this form plan was that the proponents posited a big problem and they posit a big solution without ever really analyzing what the problem is uh, and what uniformity gains. You're, you, even in your question, are I think are positing that somehow uniformity has a, as opposed to local control, has has value. And if I think if you came in and said, you know, if you if you go use a form plan the way we do, do the way we're suggesting, you're going to have this completion rate. Your trustees' fees are going to be less. Your debtors' attorneys' fees are going to be the debtors' cost will be less. You know, we want judges want those kind of plans. They want those to meet those kind of markers. Uh, you don't need to mandate it for them to adopt it. I mean, in the classic example is uh, a wage, wage orders. In the 90, 1990s, a article came out that basically suggested that uh, wage orders was one of the most, if not the most significant uh, factors in success of uh, plans, Chapter 13 plans. Well, now most of the country has wage orders in effect, not mandated by by some national uh, rule, but because it made it made good sense and. and a lot of that that provision started, you know, as part of the lo- kind of local innovation that we've gotten over the history of Chapter 13. Conduit plans were a, a, an innovation for, by a local court. When I talk about conduit plans, I'm talking about plans that provide for payments, uh, ongoing mortgage payments in the plan. That started out as an innovation, and it got accepted. And there's other innovations being tried even now. And I'm not trying to, I'm circling, I want to circle back to your point, which is, in my view, our plan is, there are big philosophies about how your plan should be. You have plans that do everything, strip liens, void judgments, uh, modify secured claims. And then you have plans that are not contested matters that basically are, are much, uh, do a lot less, but get hopefully get plans confirmed sooner and get money out to creditors, paying creditors that the debtor wants to pay. That's a philosophical difference. I pointed out our statistics because I think our statistics show that they're really good. There's a lot that goes into it, but I think before you start mandating a national form plan that's as disruptive as it is, part of making the case is to somehow show some evidence that, okay, if if this route, the way we're proposing that you go uh, with with your form plan is going to be better for you, not just better in uniformity, but actually have a real benefit for debtors. I mean, the, the arguments made, I mean, you've heard Espinoza, but one of the other arguments made is that it helps creditors to have a national form plan. Well, creditors are the best represented parties in the Chapter 13 process, I think. When I say creditors, I'm talking about mortgage creditors now. Um, it's debtors that we most are concerned with in terms of getting plans uh, confirmed and completed. 
and I think there's been a surprising lack of effort on that part by the proponents. They really speak in terms of intuition and anecdote as opposed to uh, trying to look drill down at some of these n numbers and say, okay, what works? You know, why does Tacoma uh, have a better confirmation re completion rate than uh, Portland? And why are its fee attorneys' fees so much lower? And why is it, you know, why is its trustee fees so much lower? Why is the cost of debtor so much lower? That's a really good question because the Oregon plan is more like the national mandatory plan than the Washington plan, and and, and that ought. I'm just arguing that that if we're going to start mandating national form plans, we ought to do a lot more analysis rather than intuition. So, Judge Connolly, how do you respond? Because it seems that uh, if I summarize what you're saying, Judge Lynch, is that that if there are good local innovations, then those things will be adopted because banks with judges want to do what works best, and that we don't know, uh, apart from certain things, what actually works best, so let's test it. And testing after the effective date of adopting the plan isn't the same as testing it before. Have I summarized that correctly? I probably said made more points than that, but that's a good start, Ann. Thank you. <laughs> Okay. So, Judge Connolly, how do you respond to that, that maybe we're doing the process backward and we should figure out what works first and then design a form around that? How do you respond to that concern of Judge Lynch's? Well, um, a, a couple of points. Uh, first, as to the, the completion rates question, and I think it's related to the question that you've, that you've just asked, um, I, I would like to note that um, we, we, we don't know um, uh, today, with you know, with with certainty, exactly what results in high completion rates. What we do know is that in the past there's been different studies. Most of them have, have uh, occurred before BAP CPA, uh, but the studies um, have suggested that in areas where you have high volume Chapter 13s, uh, large disbursements in Chapter 13s, high completion rates in Chapter 13s, all tend to have certain similar criteria. And that is wage orders, uh, that is uh, mortgage payments being uh, dispersed by the Chapter 13 trustee through the plan, uh, dis uh, disbursement of attorney's fees over the life of the plan, and the use of a, a form plan. Um, my understanding is as, as each of those individual factors have been tried to be isolated and tested, that hasn't been conclusive with the exception of wage orders. In other words, just looking at mortgage payments through the plan, inconclusive results, just looking at spreading attorney's fees out over the plan, inconclusive results, same thing with form plan. Yet we can say that in all those areas that have high completion rates, those four, four uh, criteria tend to be present. So when you have a form plan, you're more, those areas that have high completion rates are more likely to have a form plan than those that don't. It's not to say that adopting a form plan will increase completion rates, but we do see a correlation. And I think that there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, one is that the, the form itself sets forth a sort of a fail-safe template that can help in presenting a plan that will achieve confirmation because it should track all those required terms for confirmation. Uh, and so if it tracks 1322, 1325, we're going to be sure that we've, we've hit all those points and avoid uh, a, a plan being um, denied confirmation just because something was skipped or missed. 
And the second reason is because more often than not, those forms also take into account other sorts of provisions that assist in addressing common hurdles that occur during the plan. And I think this might be uh, what Judge Lynch is, is referring to in part, how you have local innovations. That, that sometimes corresponds to having standard boilerplate language and plans that will address ordinary common circumstances that occur during the life of a three- to five-year plan, such as common changes in disbursement amounts. For example, a trustee who might be dispersing ongoing mortgage payments more likely will have uh, an adjustment that will occur in that five-year time period to that mortgage disbursement. Uh, there will be a change in interest rates. There will be a change in escrow amounts. And therefore, the trustee will have to adjust his disbursements. So the plan, is, if it's to be successful, may want to automatically account for those adjustments by automatically setting forth a system by which the payments to the trustee can be adjusted to accommodate the changes in the disbursements. That's something that has been um, commonly done by many jurisdictions where you have high-volume Chapter 13s, and that's precisely the type of thing that can occur with the official form plan. All of these types of innovations are not eliminated by using an official form. All it does is it sets forth a place to put that information that happens to be the same uh, label as, uh, as all the other plans in the country. It doesn't mean that certain criteria is required. What it does mean is that when you want to, to set forth how you're going to disperse the mortgage payment, you look to 3.1. When you want to do the language that's going to adjust the payments to the trustee in order to accommodate the adjustment to the disbursements of the mortgage payment, you look to Part 2. Uh, there's a place for it in the official form, just like there would be a place for it in the local forms. So does the official form need to be tested? Basically, would say it's already been tested because it's a, it's a compilation of, of forms that are currently being, used, currently being used, but it tracks the language of 1322, it tracks the language of 1325, and it allows for the use of any language that, that those um, that, that has been determined to be successful uh, in those jurisdictions, that still can be done in these plans. Can I, can I address that? Yes. Uh, sure. I think it's an area where Judge Connolly and, and a lot of the opponents to the form plan disagree pretty strongly, uh, particularly in those two areas. First, conduit mortgages. It, the courts that have conduit mortgages have been some of the biggest opponents to this form plan precisely because it doesn't address the kind of issues that come with conduit mortgages. And conduit, I mean, they're, they're the mortgage plans are the single biggest reason we have Chapter 13, and it's crucial. Uh, all those conduit plans around the country have some fairly detailed provisions about adjusting payments, uh, when you start payments to the creditor, how, how the, they work with debtors' attorney's fees. Let me remind you, Rule 9009, proposed Rule 9009, says that the official forms shall be used without alteration, except as otherwise provided in these rules in a particular official form or in the national instructions for a particular form. And then it, the official forms goes on to tell you what uh, changes are allowed, and none of the changes that 
Judge Conley just talked about is referred to in any respect. The, the, concern, the concern is twofold. One, that you, you can't put the kind of provisions that we have in our local form plans for conduit mortgages in there because the form plan doesn't allow it. And as a result, the risk uh, is that there'll be those kind of provisions if, if will be put in somewhere in a local order, uh, in the order-confirming plan, and, and those places won't be available to creditors, unlike uh, the provisions in the, in the form plan. Uh, the the uh, uh, uniformity will be somewhat illusory. Uh, the, the other problem, I think that I mean, there are a number of problems, which if you read the comments that people have with the chapter, uh, the mandatory form plan, even proponents have a number of issues. But probably the single biggest issue uh, is Part 7, the distribution scheme. And, and the problem with the distribution scheme, it's not a distribution scheme at all. It says you have to pay the trustee's fees and then leaves it blank for any debtor to fill it out. Much as the debtor, I mean, any debtor could, in theory, propose to pay his mortgage directly under the form plan, even though your jurisdiction may be a conduit plan. That might result in immediate objection by the trustee. Uh, but nonetheless, the form plan doesn't work as well with conduit as it's been suggested by the proponents. Secondly, the distribution scheme, which is the crucial information in a Chapter 13 form plan, is left entirely to the debtor's discretion. And, and most trustees, and I think most judges would say that most debtors uh, don't, wouldn't fill that out uh, in an acceptable way, and so we'd have some more objections. The local form plans tend to funnel debtors uh, into particular provisions about distribution, which work for the local courts, the local decisions, and the local trustees. This plan doesn't do that. In fact, it, uh, the latest iteration allowed a, 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 a provision that said that if you want to, debtor, you can just give the trustee authority uh, to determine how the monies are distributed. Now, I don't think most trustees want that responsibility, but more importantly, it, it, it shows how illusory the uniformity will be and how illusory it will be for creditors if uh, the trustee is doing this all in some sub-ROSA distribution scheme that's not laid out in, in the form plan. Those are two of the biggest problems we have. You know, you could spend a day going through the various objections that have been filed by people about different provisions. But I, I, I have to take great uh, umbrage at the suggestion that somehow this works well with conduit plans. I, that, that's one of the biggest concerns from the conduit uh, courts. So we have several issues sort of on the table at the moment. We said we'd come back to Espinoza, which I believe uh, Judge Connolly had alluded to earlier, and that's about the non-standard provisions section. So we can put that aside. But uh, I believe Judge Lynch raised a couple of issues here. One is about uh, proposed federal rule of bankruptcy 9009 and altering whether you can alter the plan. The second is about Part 7 of the proposed Official Form 13, which essentially leaves open the distribution scheme by the Chapter 13 trustee. So I assume you want to address probably both of those issues. All right. Um, first, I think that uh, with respect to, to, to conduits, uh, we do have language in, in Section 3, uh, Part 3.1, 
that does permit disbursements uh, to be adjusted based on contractual uh, obligations and does allow in Part 2 the payments to the trustee that there may be adjustments to accommodate the need to uh, vary the disbursements when you're making non-duit, uh, uh, conduit uh, payments. Um, to the extent that that needs to be further clarified or expanded or additional instructions, I do believe that, that the form can be adjusted for that purpose. We are in this comment period now, and the, the form may be further amended, or that also may be the, the kind, kind of information that can be added in the non-standard provisions. Uh, I, I do believe that this uh, form can be used by conduit jurisdictions just as it can by non-conduit jurisdictions. I think it's important for us all to remember that the form is not the law. Uh, now, with respect to 9009, I think, again, that's, that's just simply to recognize that um, we do have an official form, and as what happened in Espinosa when someone inserted a, an illegal provision, you know, we need to be careful that, that someone's not going to take this plan and you know, delete or alter and, and amend the, the language um, and defeat the whole purpose of avoiding another Espinosa. So I think that, that, that the language of 9009 is necessary in order to protect the integrity of our, of our rules. Uh, if it needs to, again, be, be clarified somewhat to, um, to make sure that, that uh, local courts understand that to the extent that you might need additional instructions, um, that may be permissible. But, um, but I think changing the, the text, uh, the, you know, the coding, uh, the, the order of distribution in terms of where to look for information, I think that would, uh, that would be uh, inappropriate and it would defeat uh, the ability for us to uh, be able to administer these effectively and efficiently. I think with respect to Part 7, um, they, the beauty of that is that that's precisely why this can be used by all jurisdictions. You know, the concern about, um, you know, the plan is a um, statement of the law. You've got to realize this is simply just a form. And so when you have a locality that has a, a common order of dis disbursements, that locality can use Part 7 just like any other locality can to specify how those disbursements are going to occur. Creditors and uh, the courts know where to look to find out the, the order of disbursements. And therefore, if they do vary, if, if disbursements in you know, California might, might differ from New York, uh, that's okay. We can use the same form because we can all use Part 7 and, um, uh, and be able to reveal how the disbursements are going to occur. One of the reasons why I think it's important to have Part 7 exactly the way it is is because the debtor has so many options under Chapter 13 that, uh, that I don't think that we can set forth one order of disbursements that, that is uh, consistent with the code. You may have someone who has lease arrearages that have to be cured promptly, but at the same time they have domestic support arrearages, at the same time they've got adequate protection payments, and they may need to set forth some sort of creative order of disbursements, give the creditors an opportunity to, to view that, and the creditor may accept it. Um, I think we would be impairing the debtor's rights if we were to limit the debtor to only certain uh, disbursement orders. Um, I also think that there's a practical issue um, by simply referring to uh, a, a reference to a Chapter 13 trustee who may disperse um, amounts uh, uh, pursuant to, um, to it, uh, his discretion. I think that's if I can pull up the actual language. Um, that may be necessary in order to adjust uh, or account for 
the fact that the trustee can only disperse based on amounts that the trustee receives in collected funds. And accordingly, the trustee may need to adjust his or her disbursements uh, in, in order to accommodate his fiduciary duty, uh, and that's not something that we can always specify. So uh, we, have, we have the fact that the, uh, there's a practical uh, limitation on the trustee in exactly you know, how much he can disperse each month, plus he's going to have pro rata distributions um, to unsecured creditors, and, and he can't specifically say exactly what that's going to be on a monthly basis. However, he can provide that information to the creditors separately from this proposed plan. I think that the debtor should not limit the trustee. I think instead the debtor wants to go ahead and propose a plan as best he can in compliance with 1322 based on his individual circumstances, give the creditor the opportunity to, to view it, object if necessary, the court and the trustee to do so, and then once it's confirmed, he will work with the trustee to assure that this can be completed and that the disbursements can be appropriately made. So let me go to a couple of other, I know both of you testified um, at the last public hearing, uh, and let me go to several other things that were raised, that you raised and others raised during that hearing. So again, um, let's talk about Part 9 of the form, the non-standard provisions. Uh, my understanding is that this is one of the things that the proponents of the plan says solves a lot of problems. Anything that's non-standard you can put here, it makes things easier, and also solves somewhat the problem that was posed by Espinoza because an, a non-standard provision would be right in Part 9 and everyone could see it. So could both of you talk a little bit about Part 9 of the form, what you think about it? The problem I saw and I testified about is that, and, and this was about a larger theme, that the rationale for a mandatory form plan are, are either peripheral or, or illusory. Uh, and, and Espinoza, I think, addresses one of those points. I looked at all the appellate cases that have happened since 2010, the 2010 Espinoza case, found three cases where a creditor appealed a ruling uh, upholding uh, or confirming a plan uh, when the provision was um, alleged to be improper by the creditor under the code, uh, and uh, the court Court of Appeals uh, upheld the plan provision notwithstanding uh, that argument uh, on the basis that the creditor had been given notice. So three case, three appellate cases since then, which, uh, and only two of which where the court actually found the provision was improper but nonetheless uh, uh, upheld the bankruptcy court's order confirming the plan. That to me suggests, first of all, that the trustees and the courts are catching this issue not getting to the point of, of the creditors are somehow being taken advantage of. Secondly, we know that a lot of us have local form plans which, which have provisions that require non-standard provisions to be in the last paragraph. Uh, and So it's not a less of a problem than, than is suggested and certainly not a justification for a mandatory national form plan that deals with all subjects. You, you, the simple solution if you perceive this as to be a big enough problem, uh, is to say have a local rule, or excuse me, have a rule that says all local form plans have to have a provision that uh, non-standard uh, provisions are in the last paragraph of the form plan. Most of us already have something like that, but if if that's your concern, 
you don't need a six-page or more a mandatory form plan. You need a two-line rule. And, and so I, I find Espinoza, and, and I could, you know, the other rationales being offered for this form plan is a little bit uh, weak for such a huge change. You'd, you'd like to have a better case made than Espinoza for make, for a manda mandating a national form plan. Judge Connolly, I assume you disagree? I, I do. I, I believe that Espinosa does uh, dictate um, that we do address uh, change to our rules, and in particular, um, providing an official form, Chapter 13 plan. I, I, I find that, um, in, in particular, the, the language that the Supreme Court used when the Supreme Court stated that, that it is the duty of the bankruptcy judge to review these plans and make sure that they do not contain any, any improper provisions before confirming that plan, I think we need to take that to heart. And I think that we need to, to recognize that the practical reality is that we need as many tools as we can find to assist us in meeting that responsibility. Now, Judge Lynch and I are very comfortable reviewing plans. Both of us are former Chapter 13 trustees. But every week we have new bankruptcy judges who are appointed, and most of them come from backgrounds other than Chapter 13. They are unfamiliar with Chapter 13, and this is a, a huge responsibility. Uh, I think that, that having a, 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 an official form permits us to have the information reported in standard locations, and, and the most important of which would be non-standard provisions, and that could include any non-standard provision that a debtor believed was appropriate. He may go ahead and do so in Part 9 of this uh, official form, that would allow all of us to know exactly where to look, verify that information, and be able to determine whether it's appropriate to confirm that plan or not. Uh, I think this is helpful, and, and it sounds like if most courts are comfortable with that approach, that there wouldn't be a huge transition by requiring all of us to use an official form, report this information in, uh, in, uh, in standard fields, uh, and, and it wouldn't be a huge adjustment to uh, our current practice. So let me ask you something, because it's something that Judge Lynch referred to. But at the hearing, Judge Isger uh, from the Southern District of Texas made a suggestion that perhaps the committee could mandate either that a district adopt the official form or that they adopt a local form plan that has the provisions for example, with secured creditors, unsecured creditors, uh, executory contracts, all in the same location, but that would allow variation locally. Um, what do you think about that suggestion? I, I'm asking you probably first, Judge Connolly. What do you think? Uh, well, the, I think that uh, that that's a. Um, I think that was a very helpful suggestion, and I think the way you've described it does uh, reflect. Um, something that Judge Iskar mentioned uh, during the um, during the testimony, um, and that you know one of the benefits of the official form plan is that there is uh, standardization of the location of the information. That is, you know, part two is payments to the trustee. That part two can contain six different subparts or one subpart. But part two is payments to the trustee. Part three, uh, disbursements to secured creditors, etc. And so the concept of having a local plan that may match that, have those provisions in the same type of or order, um, 
would permit there to be some standardization, um, yet at the same time may permit there to be some uh, local customization regarding certain instructions um, or certain you know, innovations and provisions um, that a particular locale uh, wish to include. Um, so it's, a, it's an interesting idea. I think it's a very interesting idea, and I think that um, Judge Iskar is to be commended for, uh, for coming up with it. Uh, Judge Lynch, I assume that you think it's a good idea as well, or do you have... Well, uh, do you disagree? Um, no, I agree and disagree, I guess is uh, what I would say. I, I think that if the plan is not mandatory and allows for local districts to have their own form plans, a lot of judges in our group would support such a compromise. Um, and, and I think a compromise that requires that uh, non-standard provisions be at the end of the plan would probably receive support of a lot of judges. I don't recall that a Judge Isker suggested that we have provisions in the same places, no matter what they say. Uh, I, I thought he talked about putting uh, maybe in bold what the provisions are. But I, I'm concerned that if we start dictating into, into the details of exactly how the plans are constructed, then pretty soon we have mission creep by a national bureaucracy of committee that basically starts telling you, well, you have to have this there and you have to have this there. I, I think there'd be a lot of opposition because it sounds like, well, we're not going to mandate you use our form plan. We're just going to mandate all, we're, 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 what you do, how you construct your form plan. And, and that, I think, uh, would receive a lot of resistance from uh, local judges and trustees. But the basic notion, uh, I think, uh, of a, uh, a local a local form plans uh, being adopted uh, by local districts, I think, has got uh, merit, and, and I know there's some discussions out there. It's, it's uh, obviously the more the more people try to add to it. Beyond that, the more resistance there will be. Uh, I suspect, uh, and there and uh, undoubtedly. Don't get me wrong. There are judges out there who don't like the notion of a form plan, period. But uh, I think the larger group in our group would support uh, a provision that, as long as it wasn't mandatory and, and allowed us to keep our local form plans uh, and, and without much added to that. Uh, so, Judge Lynch or Judge Connolly, do you have anything else you'd like to add to the conversation? You know, I, I want to make this point um, from the perspective of the people opposing a mandatory national forum plan. Now, the larger problem of a mandatory forum plan is a lack of buy-in from the real constituents um, in terms of not, not only in terms of the creation, but also in terms of review, revision, all done by some national committee bureaucracy with multiple constituents over a protracted period. The, the risk is that the local courts will not have buy-in, will adopt local procedures to circumvent the rules about not altering the form or will change their confirmation order to, uh, to comport with local procedures about distribution or lien stripping. Uh, a lot of them don't think that you should don't see how you're going to be able to do lien stripping inside a plan confirmation process or what, how you're going to introduce evidence in that context. So there are a lot of problems that they're going to have with aspects of this national form plan. 
And uh, to the extent that they adopt local fixes, essentially the biggest benefit of, the, of a man mandatory form plan, that is the uh, ease for creditors to see how they're treated, becomes uh, illusory. Uh, and, and we lack uh, a motivated uh, local bar, court, trustee uh, who supports the plan. So I, I, for all those reasons, I, I think a mandated national form plan uh, would not be something that most courts would be in support of. So Judge Connolly, I think you have the last word here. Well, I appreciate very much um, that we need to be sure that we are not impairing local discretion, judicial discretion, decentralization of case administration or case management and case practice, and I don't think that we are. Just like the use of official forms in Chapter 7 practice, you know, as we all know that a Chapter 7 consumer debtor, all the required forms that must be filed in that case are official forms, and the use of those official forms in Chapter 7 practice has not impaired local control over case management, local judicial discretion, local customization, nor do I think that the adoption of an official form in the Chapter 13 for the Chapter 13 plan or these uh, proposed rules uh, will have the same effect. Uh, I, I think that we want to be careful that while we, we do want to have decentralization of case management, we do want to make sure that there is uh, judicial discretion with respect to all aspects of plan confirmation. We don't want to set up local barriers to the use of Chapter 13 pursuant to the code. So I think that we can be sensitive to that, and I think that we can continue to pursue uh, the adoption of these rules, uh, continue to improve the proposed official form plan, which I think can be used by all jurisdictions. And once it, once it is, I think it will improve access, and ultimately I think it will decrease costs and improve uh, the, practice chapter, the, the uh, practice of Chapter 13 uh, nationally. Well, thank you, Judge Lynch and Judge Connolly, for taking time out of your day to uh, discuss the adoption of Official Form 113. Well, we'll have to wait to see what the Rules Committee decides to do. For our listeners, if you're interested in commenting on either the proposed bankruptcy rule changes or the proposed mandatory National Chapter 13 plan, you must do so by the deadline, which is February 17, 2015. This is Ann Lawton with another ABI podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you.